You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. These are things that are so common sense and so close to our obvious understanding as human beings that all we need is the environment to stop and think about them for a minute or two and then kind of see if that superhero cape is something that we can carry or not. The concept of psychological safety has come up quite a number of times on the podcast recently and has proven to be a really, really hot topic. So I'm delighted to have today's guest, Dwena Blonstrom. Now, I've been following Dwena for, I'm not even sure how long at this stage, but through her weekly LinkedIn newsletters, she has two of them. So definitely go and check those out if you're not already following her. Such interesting concepts, such interesting insights around psychological safety in particular. So I'm absolutely delighted to have her on my podcast today. Dwena is the author of Emotional Banking and People Before Tech, which is her new book. It's about the importance of psychological safety and teamwork in the digital age. She is a doer, an entrepreneur, an industry influencer, a blogger with a cutting edge opinion style, a writer for Forbes, an international keynote speaker and creator of the emotional banking and human debt concepts. We talk about more about those on the podcast, so watch out for those. Over the past 20 years, Duena has worked with multiple large organizations, be it to assist them in their digital strategy or to help them transform. With a background in psychology as well as business, Duena is on a crusade to see lasting change in this VUCA world to help companies avail themselves of agile and and the new ways of work and bring humanity back to the workplace. Today, Duena is co-founder and CEO of People Not Tech, a company designing a revolutionary team software solution measuring and increasing psychological safety for high-performing teams. Duena, you're very welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I've been following you for quite a while and we had a really great discussion a couple of weeks ago. So welcome to the podcast. Do you want to give people a a, a bit of a flavour of your background, uh, how you got to where you are? Yes, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Always a pleasure to speak to people who I know have their heart in the right place. And from our previous conversations, I know that's the case. Um, my background, I always stumble on intros. I, I have such a need for efficiency that I would like them to be um, as concise as possible, but it's a really difficult thing to do when you've moved from one industry to another. Um, but I have a background in psychology and I have then done loads in, in technology, in particular in the financial technology sphere. And a few years ago, I have um, then had a, a moment, if you wish, and decided that there's a lot more that needs to be done outside of just technology, outside of just um, kind of talking about agile, which is a passion of mine. And that um, the the bulk of that work has to be around people and culture. And when I was looking um, at it in the middle of writing my first book, um, this idea of human debt occurred to me, which um, maybe we'll touch on later. And once it did, um, I decided that I I have to fix it and I have to do something about it. So... I have left the field of financial technology um, for all intents and purposes, and I now spend all of my time thinking about ways of making 
teams and humans um, happier in their workplace by by increasing their psychological safety and reducing their human debt. So I would say now I describe myself as being somewhere in between the agile and DevOps side of things and uh, the humans and HR side of things. Um, I don't like that there are sides and that's possibly something I'm going to touch on soon. But um, my hope is that one day we're going to find uh, levers like psychological safety and and ways to um, to have much better places of employment. Yeah, I mean, you're totally on the same page that I am. I don't have that similar uh, kind of fintech background that you do, but I'm interested in and, and you said we touch on it later, but maybe if we just get an, an idea of what it means, this idea, this concept of human debt, like what does that mean? Right. It, there's no fixed definition. Um, and I'm not positively sure I was necessarily the very first one to have thought of it. But when I did arrive at it, um, I, I it, it struck me that the same way that you sometimes amass debt in a technical environment. So anyone who writes code or is involved in a, in a software project knows that Sometimes you have to cut corners. Sometimes you have to take the first option you've Googled, not the third or the fifth. Sometimes you need to make some decisions which are not necessarily based on on enough facts. So there are moments when you construct a software project when you feel like you are leaving things on the table, you're not doing your, maybe you're not doing your very best or you are doing a short-term solution that will need correcting later. All of those things amass to something that's commonly known as technical debt. When a software project has a lot of it, um, eventually it doesn't work anymore. So what needs doing is to go back to a drawing board and rewrite, rebuild, redo the, the code base. It's a big enterprise and it can very well hold entire um, projects and, and kind of destroy every bit of progress. That same concept, I feel, applies perfectly to what we have done in um, various organizations, meaning we have all seen, all of us that have been working for more than, I don't know, two or three years, even even the ones that are newer, we see moments when organizations have these brilliant ideas, these projects, these um, amazing kind of programs that start. And all of them are designed to better people's lives in some fashion, whether they are about diversity and inclusion or they are about um, engagement or they are about productivity, whatever they are, they're made so that they, they better their their people's lives. And yet most of these programs, if, you, if you're going to be forensic and historical about them, have never really reached a resolution, have never got into a place where the topic of diversity has been put aside because it's been sorted so solidly in our organization we don't need to talk about it ever again or we now have definitely happy teams and happy employees whatever it is that was a big project that has never really been sorted and i feel that every time that we have um started something and left it and not really dealt with it um it has amassed into this human debt furthermore and this is something that i think people should start connecting with more and more. There are moments when leadership um, is seeing human debt happen before their very eyes. It isn't as insidious as projects being dropped, um, like I was saying, or, or programs being changed into nothingness or ideas becoming something for Fridays. It's a lot more evident. It's, it's that time in a really important meeting when you haven't spoken up for the people budget and you let uh, new desks being bought or 
or it's the time when you sat back and you watched a very current topic. You watched um, a policy being made for working from home that is absolute tone death and likely to destroy your relationship with your with your employees, but yet yet you let it happen. All of those moments when um, when managers or leaders or or CXOs of all kinds are sitting back, biting their lip, not engaging, knowing something wrong is or, or not good enough is happening. Those moments create even more human debt. What happens with this human debt, like in the software project, is at some point it will completely break the enterprise. Um, unless we start fixing it, it will stop functioning. Right now, it only um, translates into a lot of toxicity, into bad cultures, into the um, bad problems in the workplace we all observe, into this feeling of disengagement that we all have when we stop um, being enchanted with the place we work in. All of those things, though, eventually amass to an enterprise not being competitive enough anymore when they have enough human debt. I mean, everything that you said makes absolute and total sense to me. And if I can relate it back to the software and kind of um, like read between the lines, they have all of these brilliant ideas, but they're not really getting the basics right. And what is required is to kind of go back to the drawing board and really get the basics right. It was interesting what you were saying about leaders biting their lip. And, you know, we, we will come on to the topic of psychological safety, but it, ultimately that's what's going on is people are not speaking up for one reason or another, that they don't feel safe, that um, it's not that they don't care, but they just don't feel like it's their place to say it. Or for one reason or another, they're not actually saying anything about how they might address it. And it, it, like I, when you talked about broken um organizations, I went straight to like, oh, well, that's a toxic organization, but it's even beyond that. So there's toxicity, but then beyond that, they will eventually break. And the organization that it, that has allowed this to happen essentially will become not competitive enough, probably because they're not able to retain their staff, that people are actually leaving and they're, they're not able to fulfill their, their mission. They're not able to deliver to customers. Right, precisely. I'm not even always worried about people leaving, if I'm honest, like, um, because they aren't either. Let's be fair, there's very few organizations that are as concerned with, with their people walking away as they should be. But I am worried about people staying and being horribly unproductive and not, not at their best. So however way you look at it, if you have enough human debt, it will eventually break organizations. Yeah, no, I, that's that's a really fair point, actually. It's more about performance and productivity than it is about actually retention. Right, I would yeah. say so. But both are problematic, in particular in this day and age. I wrote something just last week on LinkedIn um, because I see more and more signs of the fact that in the technical industry there will be a mass exodus of mind um, for any organization that is tone deaf enough to insist that they go back to the office. So, it, it, in, in fact, the idea of retention has never been top of my mind because I was a lot more, as you say, focused on performance. But right now, it's going to become one of the big topics of, of the next six months to a year, simply because because of this very evident moment of human debt creation where they have kind of went with an on paper policy instead of common sense. Yeah, yeah. So rather than asking people what they want, merely insisting that people come back to the office because that's what they as an organisation need. 
Precise. Or think they need. I don't think any organisation really needs it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is it. This is what they think they need. So coming back then to this idea of like, if we're going back to basics and, and kind of going back to the drawing board, would you say then that that's where psychological safety comes in? So it's it's about bringing it back to, oh, um, and, and, and I listened to something, a, a webinar yesterday, which was very interesting, all about well-being projects and talking about the different types of well-being. And you've got your financial well-being and your social well-being and your physical well-being and your mental well-being. But actually, one it occurred to me after listening that there was no they weren't really addressing the the concept of of just getting the basics right in an organization creating an environment where people feel like they can perform at their best essentially i think it's a very very interesting topic and one that's worth a lot more investigation than we have unfortunately offered it uh, collectively as, as 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 humans in the workplace if you wish i'm not pointing any fingers but i think that um if if we accept and agree all of us that we need to have happy employees so that we not because we're nice to them not because that's the 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 moral thing to do but because they are therefore performant and therefore able to make happy customers which would be the only equation that matters if we all agree on that then we need to kind of figure out how do we do that how do we go to to that place where where our people are pleased and happy and and excited and involved and passionate enough that they deliver at their best of, of of their abilities and i think if if we're gonna think um that way then we have to take another step back and go well what are the ways in which we can affect that right and there's a lot of talk or the vast majority of the talk i you know don't want to exaggerate but i think a good 90 percent of the conversation is around the organization right what can the organization do so that they change culture so that they um kind of make sure that we're we're, we're having clean and 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 decent and and um and and good workplaces right and all of that conversation first of all it's not um, a bad idea to have it any conversation is better than no conversation at all but it is in my mind a very sterile exercise i every time i hear organizational theory I, I i cringe it is completely unactionable it's more fodder for um, academic pursuit than it is anything to do with the day-to-day change in people's lives the other two aspects, though, if you, if you if you say one part of the equation is what can the organization do, and there are some things that the organization can do, right? The organization can offer resources, for instance. Uh, the organization can offer organizational permission, as I call it, as in clarity that people are encouraged to be doing the human work. The organization can offer, you know, decent servant leadership, all of those things. But that's about it. Everything else has to be at the other two levels. And the other two levels, to my mind, are the team level, and then the individual level. And a lot of the conversation on well-being is uh, centered around the individual. So over the pandemic, we've seen a rise in in the topics of self-care, which is great. Um, Before time, these were things that were being said um, Friday afternoon, right as you exited the door, there would be like a mini announcement about don't forget to do some yoga over the weekend or um, we've increased your allowance for, for personal care. Whatever it was, it was just an after thought and not a real um, not a real lens towards making people truly feel better because that makes them more productive. So that has changed over the pandemic to a degree. What I do see, 
and is worrying is that instead of that give, having given us enough momentum to make um, people arrive at the place where they say to the organization, right, give me the resources, give me the time, give me the permission to invest in myself, find the ways that best work for me so that I increase my well-being and I am professional and adult enough of a human to know I have to feel better before I can give you my best at work. So instead of getting to that place, that magical place where the individual says, right, I'll take care of myself, give me the tools. I see us going back a little bit. I see conversations rolling back. I see eyes rolling a little bit. I see the tone changing in terms of self-care as if it's a back to that place where it was just an afterthought, which is very worrying on the individual side. And finally, the, the, the bit that I am most passionate about is the team side, which is, if you wish, a combination between, or, or right, obviously right in the middle of these two concepts, but a combination of all the concepts of well-being, both at work and personal, in one. Because one thing that has been overlooked tremendously over the past, I don't know, 30, 40 years that we've been doing um, knowledge organizations and technology has been the fact that the dynamic, the importance of the dynamic of the team is crucial. The way you get people in a team is interesting, but not as important. The way you keep people in a team, though, has to do with the, with, with the type of dynamic they have. And that finally brings us to these good behaviors of teams that you want to have so that you can have high performance and they all are centered around um, some type of, if you wish, fearless attitudes that all members can buy in and the sense of essentially being like a family that works really well together, enjoys each other, makes magic together, goes very fast. Um, and it is that sense that we all sometimes get of being in a team that truly goes as one and is making marvelous things happen. And that particular type of dynamic that's very healthy and makes us at the top of our performance and, and in, in, involves us being in a good place well-being-wise from, from an individual point of view. It also involves us having some of the organizational topics that I was talking about before. That dynamic is centered around this one topic, which is psychological safety. You know, kind of to just rehash the definition really quick, psychological safety is the shared belief that we are safe to express ourselves in a team um, and that we are taking no interpersonal risks in doing so, meaning any any time that we don't, any time we don't engage, any time we are afraid to express ourselves um, for fear of appearing uh, incompetent or ignorant or, or intrusive or negative, that's called impression management. It's the negative side of this good behavior and it does destroy our good dynamic in the team. So I, I realize I'm wrapping everything up in, in one, uh, one <laughs> phrase here, but the point I'm making is, again, rehashing it, there's three layers of it, the organization, the team, and yourself. You should and can work on yourself. There are, there's multiple um, kind of literature out there. Just ask for organizational permission to do so because it is, um, it is something that the organization should give you. Ask for organization support to do so. Those are the only functions of the organization, really. Outside of that, everything else happens in this team dynamic where we feel open, free, unafraid, and able to be at our best. If you'd like to know more about what I can do for your business, please head over to my website, happieratwork.ie, where I have more details on the services that I offer. I offer various different types of things for organizations like yours. I offer speaking, coaching, consulting, with a huge focus on data and analytics and how to use data to make better people decisions. 
I have a couple of ongoing public projects at the moment in relation to researching employee well-being first-time managers and I will be making those results publicly available as well so if you would like to get access to that head on over to my website so much to to dive into there and I'm curious about this I, I love how you've outlined the fact that there's those three layers and interestingly this idea of the team dynamic has come up quite a bit on the podcast recently um and it's because I think a lot of focus typically, um, and as you've kind of alluded to, has been very much on the individual side of things. Uh, like if there's leadership development, for example, it tends to focus on individuals rather than team dynamics and how people work together as a team. So I'm really interested in this. I like the idea that you've had um, like of this organisational permission because and I'd love to, to get your thoughts on this because I think a lot of times the perception is that the this type of scenario needs to come from the top. It needs to be from the very, very senior leadership down through the organisation that you have this sense of psychological safety. But if I understand correctly, what you're saying is you need to have organisation permission. So that's kind of saying we want to put people first and you can have if you if there's budget required, you can have the budget that you need, um, but you're not going to face any penalties or you're not going to face any reprimand for implementing something that hasn't been implemented anywhere else. and so that you can actually do it at that team level. So I'd love to to understand a little bit more about that. I think it's it's an it's an interesting topic. I was surprised that the term wasn't very widely spread. I would have thought it's common sense that we need organizational permission. But um, but what it means to me is, as an organization, instead of the navel gazing of thinking of creating um, organizational structures on paper, which is completely useless exercise. Instead of uh, sending surveys we really know are not a true feedback channel, um, which does nothing but burn the the little bit of trust we have from our people. Um, Instead of, again, uh, doing this incredible amount of of uh, emperors naked, if you wish, conversation around um, the the PR topics, right? So it, it always makes my blood boil when I hear organizations talking loud and clear about how, how much they value the happiness of their employees. And then I, when I when I pop the hood and I look at the things that they are really doing, they are minimal if at all there. And so all of this PR work, instead of all of the PR work, instead of all the academic work, instead of all the planning work, instead of all that. Um, I would be 10 times happier if every organization worth their salt walked away from all of these conversations and instead said, right, I am nothing but a resource provider. I am, this uh, servant leadership thing has to start at an organizational level, which is what do I need to provide my people so that they can really run at their best? And what I need to provide are, as I said, resources, um, whether those resources are of, of, of money or time, and this one is a big one, and I'll come back to it in a second. And I need to provide them with the knowledge and the certainty that what I'm saying is not PR. What I'm saying is not for navel gazing. And it's not so that some exec looks better in some interview, but it's something that I truly believe in. So that is kind of, the, to, to my mind, what, what makes up organizational permission, which is the ability to 
truly believe that you're trying to change for the better and you're putting your people first and then the ability of transmitting that and of 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 making people see that you're meaning it this time and it's a very difficult thing to do for various reasons number one we have a, collectively at an organizational level a history of saying one thing and doing another. We have a history of being punitive and punishing people instead of helping them learn from failure. We have a history of, of doing grueling performance reviews that always end up in, in, in bad results instead of good results. And we have essentially, because of the, the way we've interacted with our people, broken the relationship in which we, they feel like they're in a team with either their leaders or the or the organization as a whole. And that needs repairing. And the only way to repair it is, as I said, to offer steadfastly, um, if that's even a word, resources, saying, here is the money pot that you need so that you find yourself the tools and uh, the, the coaching and the whatever it is that you need for, for the human work that you need to be doing at the, at the localized team level. And here is the, here are the time resources, meaning I will personally make sure that no one gets more than X amount of work so that there's Y amount of time left for both self-care and team level um, dynamic work. And so if the organization starts offering these things, then that already signals not only lip service in terms of we care about you, but actual action. And if they do it for long enough, then the, the, the feeling of, oh, they mean this, this is a serious thing. We can work on ourselves and they want us to work on ourselves will eventually seep in. But because of the history that we have in the workplace, it's going to take a, a mammoth amount of effort. And I think, unfortunately, organizations know it's a big deal and a mountain to climb. So they, they choose to ignore it. And as I said, there's a lot of the emperor is naked happening around where we all see something being glaringly ridiculous, but no one points to it. Um, and so that just perpetuates. So I think organizational permission is crucially important. Any um, execs worth their salt know this in their heart of hearts. But ironically, it's the fact that they themselves are not in a, in a, in a team at a leadership level and not in a team that has psychological safety where they can speak up and be honest and say, look, everything we've been doing HR-wise has been absolutely bonkers. We have to take a step back, look at work, look at outcomes, look at making our people happy and then give them the stuff they need for it. Yeah, I mean, everything that you've said makes total and utter sense to me. Quick question. <laughs> Do you know any organisations who are doing this well right now? Um, I always hesitate to say this because people don't like this comparison. But realistically, the only organisations that are doing this very well are one of two categories. One is... Um, the unicorns and and some of the Silicon Valley organizations, and not because they are you know they, this amazing entity, but because they were built with people first. So you have to remember that most of these places are very new. So they came about just as Netflix was discovering how important it is for people to be something. They came about just as agile was the real thing to be to be building technology, and they are most of them technology shops. So because of that it became very 
quickly very clear that they have to build around happy people if they want to have technology and process. And so they are doing it by default because their initial stance was how do we work together best? Their initial stance wasn't, let me take this from the book, uh, business process I found in, from 1882 and kind of implement it here because the CFO said so. So they were built right from the ground up. They are still doing okay. Even there, you know, they have to keep an eye on it. Everyone does. Even startups have to keep an eye on it. So the, the, there's human debt to be amassed at any level of any organization if you don't keep a keen and continuous eye on it. And lastly, the second type of organization that does well or will do well is one that has enough strong superheroes, is what I call it, which you know, you can call them internal advocates, you can call them whatever you like, but it's people who have understood um, the importance of, 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 of doing the human work. They have seen the size of the human debt and they're working at it actively. And if they have two or three of those in an organization at a decent enough, doesn't have to be at the very top, but at a, at a top enough level, then things start to move simply because if you, if you look at it, and we work with tens, hundreds of teams um, through the, the software that we've created, and we see them take to the human work in a, in, a, in a humbling and absolutely shocking way every day. Meaning, if you do give people at the team level the tools and the permission and the ability to help themselves to do the mini kind of the mini therapy sessions, the discussions, the talks, the, the things that are part of the human work that will make these behaviors better, they will take on to this work. Yes, they'll be resistant at first because they don't believe you to be serious about this. Um, and yes, they'll be resistant because they're overworked and they're tired and they're burned out. But once they understand this is important work and they are encouraged to do it, they will absolutely help the organization. And what we see is it spreads like wildfire. People become mini psychologists and, and advocates themselves and they see the effects of, of, of working on the human work and how much better it makes their lives so they help themselves. So all I'm saying is, yes, it's a mammoth task to give organizational permission, but it's also one that can be made smarter by giving the teams the tools to be empowered to do it themselves. I really, really like that approach. And if I'm understanding correctly, if someone has like this strong superhero or a couple of strong superheroes or advocates within the organisation, in addition to having that organisation level per permission, then it can be done at that level and spread within the organisation that way. Yes, precisely. Okay. There, are, there are many ways in which we can get there. And I feel like people want to get there. So we, we must eventually... Yeah, this is it. And and I suppose I'm I'm thinking from another perspective now of if there's someone listening now and they're in that type of organization where they pay a lot of lip service but they're not actually delivering on the actions and they're trying to enact change in that organization but it's not really happening. Like I mean, my view is that's not the right organization for you if they're if they're if they're not doing what it is that they're saying that they want to do. But what what are your thoughts on that scenario? If someone is in that situation, is it, you know, giving themselves permission nearly to step up and be that superhero, be that advocate in that organisation? Or is it, is it time to move on somewhere else? You know, that's very much, a, obviously, an individual and personal question. I would rather everyone stay than become a superhero, but at the same time, I don't want them to be doing that at the cost of their own sanity. And unfortunately, because what, what we make is, um, we, we, we've built a piece of software that 
helps teams develop these good dynamics. And so because of the nature of what we've built, we see this fight and these like um, superheroes every day, right? So we, we, that's who we have to work with so that we affect change in organizations. And irrespective of the level they're at, whether they are CXOs or they are lower, it's it's of, often a difficult thing to do, um, no, to, to witness them have this battle, not for them. For them, it's a grueling thing to do. I'm not going to lie. The, the fight of changing an organization, in particular an older incumbent horse organization, not a unicorn, is tough. So we see a lot of what I call cape fatigue. So people who have been fighting for the right things for long enough, but at some point they just, they, they come at a moment in their life where they don't have the, the, the fire to fight anymore and then yes in that case that they should probably move on it's not the place for them we don't want people killing themselves doing this but at the same time if they if they did it smartly and intelligently and they found others to come along and this is a moment where they can we have to remember that um covid horrendous as it has been has brought into light people topics so at the very least they don't have to be ridiculed when they bring up the important bit um then kind of if they bring enough other people along on the journey, their load becomes lesser and they see that it becomes easier. And as I said, the beauty of, of things like the things we're building and, and many other things that help teams is that once you once you bring the team along on the path, they can help do this, some of this heavy lifting. And lastly, for, kind of a tip for them would be instead of just working green grassroots and, and, and from the bottom up and so on, there's a, there's a lot of good to come from doing some smart work at the top as well. Meaning, as I said before, um, the, the, the topmost structures, the leadership structures are the ones that are sometimes most missing the, a sense of psychological safety. And because of that, they are not a real team. They are a work group. They go in there, they talk at each other, not to each other. They make no real value decisions together. They all go home. So what happens, obviously, is that... They, if they lack psychological safety at that level, no one's going to point out when an HR strategy becomes ridiculous and does nothing to help people. No one's going to point out if IT knows ways to to um, to kind of increase their throughput by having better team dynamics and they should do that at every other level of the, of the enterprise. No one's going to kind of bring back common sense and fearlessly say, we got to stop or we got to take a left or we have to find ways to do things again. So the less psychological safety you have in a leadership team, the less likely you are that you can organize this organizational permission, right? So there's work to be done by these superheroes, both down and up. And the, the thing to change at, at, at the management level is to get them back into being a team, get them back into being passionate and invested. These are good people that all got where they are because they they believed in what they were doing. What we need to try and do is get them back into a team where they can be free and unafraid and, and not resort to impression management every time they have a management meeting. Yeah, no, I really, really like that approach. And like, I suppose a follow on question is, is there maybe a personality type or is it just having that passion for putting people first in terms of how to get started on that superhero journey? I think no one chooses to be a superhero. People choose to be in, in good health 
happy organizations and they just want to do their jobs. I think a superhero job finds you, unfortunately, when you've <laughs> seen enough, when you've seen enough human that happen around you that you just can't let it happen anymore. Yeah. I think what happens is it's not a personality type, um, but it is a matter of seeing versus unseeing it. Um, as I said, we see, we see this almost every day. Once people connect with the idea of psychological safety and that moment of magic that they could have with their team, they can never really forget that's a possibility and they can never kind of settle for less. Equally, once people understand the idea of impression management, then when we are afraid to engage because we don't want to look uh, one certain way, then they start seeing that behavior more often. They start stopping themselves from engaging in that behavior. And that kind of spreads as an example and people can kind of um, tap into to that and be a lot more unafraid. These are things that are so common sense and so close to our obvious understanding as human beings that all we need is the environment to stop and think about them for a minute or two and then kind of see if that superhero cape is something that we can carry or not. Yeah, so it's it's maybe taken a step away from what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and, and getting that helicopter view of what is it that we're doing why are we doing it and how are we doing it? How are we actually interacting as a team? Absolutely, precisely. And this has been an amazing moment. For, I would have hoped everyone would have done that, but it, it it does sadden me to see that there's many places that have not done it at all. Um, that that will only translate in a humongous amount of, of sudden, of sudden um, human death. I think, in fact, most places, it's going to be very binary in terms of winners and losers of the COVID pandemic, unfortunately, um, at a people level. So yeah. Those that have done the right things, they've asked the right questions, they've, they've then went to a hybrid model that was jointly decided. And then those that have been just operating, putting their head down, making their people work from, double time and then asking them to go back to the office and it's clear who's a winner and who's a loser yeah yeah it's, it's, it is it is it's disappointing that people can't see that or that they're going to revert to how things have always been done in in pre-covid times let's say Duana, you've shared so many insights today i wonder is there anything else that you would like to add to the conversation that we haven't really touched on Oh gosh, I don't think we've not touched on anything. We've touched on everything. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we've went in depth into any of them enough and they're big concepts. And we, you know, kind of, I recognize that this is hard work for everyone. I'm myself um, on the spectrum. This is not my, if I could just write software or do like organize and, and a camp and board, I do that all day, every day. But realistically, this hard work around the people bit, this hard human work, this mm. this thing that looks like the um, the afterthought and the, the a second job is actually our first job and it should be our first priority, but only if we want to stay performant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally, totally agree with what you're saying there. So the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work? I'll, I'll say that because I not because I have to, but it is because absolutely the truth. It's the teeming moments that I live for, and I think many of us might might be able to relate to that. And they mostly happen in our teams. 
um, but they can happen elsewhere as well. So the, the moments where you feel like minds are meeting and things are going to happen as a result of that, those are teeming moments with high psychological safety. And having those and learning to recognize them and learning to, to seek them again is absolutely addictive, I feel. And the kind of the equivalent at the team level of being in the zone, which is also obviously the happiest thing you can do. It's either you're writing code or writing documents or writing an article. Those moments when you're really overflown with ideas and you feel you're, you're going fast and typing fast, um, that's flow and being in the zone. And the equivalent of flow and being in the zone is being in this teeming moment where you have high psychological safety and you are as one building something of value. Yeah, love that. Love that approach. And I know that you have two books, one that has recently been launched. Do you want to tell us about your books, where people might find out more about, about those Yes, I have had, well, I've written a book eight years ago about uh, financial technology called Emotional Banking. But um, but more recently, just a couple of weeks ago, um, there has been the European launch and then there's an upcoming US launch in July of a book called People Before Tech, The Importance of Psychological Safety and Teamwork in the Digital Age. The book is aiming to bridge um, between the agile slash DevOps slash IT industry and the um, people slash uh, HR slash leadership. And then that bridge would mean that um, the, the two would come together and will find ways to increase psychological safety, make happier teams, and as a result, become performant in the technology sphere. And they can find finally to answer, they can find it on Amazon, obviously, they can find it on Bloomsbury's own page. And there's a discount for my book in every of my newsletters. There's a newsletter on Monday, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday on LinkedIn. And if you subscribe to it, there's a discount to the book that always comes with the newsletter. Wonderful. Thank you. And if people want to find out more about you and what you do, what is the best way they can do that? Well, there's a lot on LinkedIn, as I said, but I also, the day job <laughs> is, um, and where we learn so much about teams is that I run a company called People Not Tech, and uh, we make this piece of software, which is helping teams increase their psychological safety um, at a team level that doesn't require more than an okay in terms of organizational permission. And so we change the lives of teams that way. So we can find out more on peoplenotech.com um, and as well as, as I said, um, on social media. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. I mean, we like you said, we did cover a lot of ground and maybe maybe it's a case of going into one particular area in more detail at a, at a later stage. But I think we, we've this is a, definitely a starting point. And I suppose I wanted to enlighten people about the options that are out there and what they can do to drive better psychological safety within their organisation. So I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to speak to people who care about all these things. Well, what a conversation. That was Dwena Blomstrom from People Before Tech. And I really hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And would love to get your thoughts over on LinkedIn. So head on over there and add what you think. Have you changed anything? Have you tried any of the things? Have, can you relate to what Joanna was talking about? I would love to know. I'm going to recap on some of the key points that we discussed on the podcast. So one of the first areas we spoke about was this idea of human debt, which is when you cut corners 
preliminaries or making decisions without enough facts. And it tends to be a short term solution. And there are moments when leadership sees that human death happening right before their eyes. And it's kind of a biting your lip moment. And it does lead to toxicity and eventually like a broken organization. And I suppose my own perception was that people will leave. But the idea around this is that people don't necessarily leave that, but the organization becomes less competitive as a result of this situation. We spoke about the idea of organizational permission, which surprisingly not very many people are talking about. Certainly it was a new topic for me. And what Duenna spoke about was this idea that the organization can offer resources, permission, clarity and servant leadership. We spoke about the need to do psychological safety at a team and individual level. So um, it's understanding about our own self-awareness in a, in a sense. And we spoke about the team dynamic and pe- keeping people in that team dynamic through good behaviours and good behaviours result in high performance. There were some specific areas that Joanna touched on, and that is the fearless attitudes. It's being like a family and enjoying what you're doing. And you go fast and you go as one. So you're not going off on your own. It's much more about going as a group. And I really, really liked that that idea. She mentioned about the importance of trust and it not just being this pure topic. So you're saying about happiness, but actually if you look under the hood of the organisation, that's not what is happening in reality. Uh, We touched again on the idea of servant leadership and this being that what do I need to provide my people to perform their best. So whether that is money, whether that's time, whether that's resources. And I know certainly servant leadership has been coming up quite a lot in the various articles that I read online as well. Uh, But it's not just about doing it for PR's sake. Now, the danger as well is that there's a history of saying one thing and doing another. And, you know, especially at a time of performance reviews, when people maybe receive information that they weren't necessarily expecting. And that breaks down the relationship and it creates this big us and them environment. We spoke as well about this idea, and this this is quite intriguing to me, the idea that you don't necessarily have to be at the top in order to influence change. So that kind of goes against some of the previous guests who've said it, it often does come from the top when we're talking about making that change, especially around psychological safety. But in Duena's opinion, it's it's this idea that we you could be anyone and you could be this superhero within the organization who is making that change. And superheroes often they work up and they work down the organization. So it's about managing up and managing down. It's about finding others to come along and that journey with you so that you're not alone. And COVID has allowed for a lot more of these people topics. So it's starting to move more in that direction, which is really, really great. It's about never forgetting the possibility and never settling for less in the organisation. So that wraps up the key points that we made uh, during the conversation on the podcast today. And I would love to know what you are going to do differently. Please connect with me over on LinkedIn. Join in on the conversation. I would love to hear what you think. Coming up on the podcast next week, I have Jennifer Dowling talking all about time and our different perceptions of time and our approaches to time, which is especially important in the remote and flexible working environment that we find ourselves in. And we have a thoroughly interesting conversation. I know you're really going to enjoy that. So stay tuned for that next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.